Those of you here this morning remember that we began a study that, with the concept that it's not unusual for people to wave this white flag of surrender and absolutely just give up in a number of realms of life. It might be the student gives up on their education, they drop out. It might be the worker gives up on his job and he absolutely just quits. It might be a couple giving up on their relationship and they break up or a husband and wife give up on their marriage and they divorce. We're not interested in those as we are the children of God giving up on their service to God so that they just decide they quit serving the Lord. We also noted in our introduction this morning that many reach the point they're tempted to quit or at least they become discouraged. We won't go back and look at the text, but Elijah is a case in point that he became discouraged. So was Paul and so are the Hebrews. In fact, the Hebrews were discouraged to the point they were tempted to throw up their hands and quit. And so our study this morning was on why people give up. Tonight we want to look at the second part of that. This morning we list 15 reasons why people give up. We're going to look at 15 more in our study this evening. I'm not going to review those 15. That would take a while. If you are not here, I encourage you to go back and look at that on YouTube or on a podcast and get those previous 15. Why do people give up? Why is it that people just decide they're going to give up and quit? One of the purposes, as we mentioned this morning, is that it may be that you're tempted just to throw up your hands and quit, and this would encourage you not to do that, hopefully. Or it may be that you know someone that is tempted to quit, and maybe you can encourage them, maybe a family member, maybe someone that you have a greater influence on than the rest of us do, and you could help them and encourage them to remain faithful. Here's number 16. We'll continue our list. Why do people give up? We do not realize that we're most tempted to quit doing good when we are at our weakest point. So why do we give up? Well, because we don't realize that when we are tempted to give up good things and quit good things is when we are at our weakest point. Now let's turn in our Bible. Some of these passages we're going to just make a passing reference to because we have some ground to cover and others will take time to develop. But in Matthew chapter four, we notice in the case of temptation of Jesus, that Satan always strikes at our weakest point. What I want you to see is that when Jesus was hungry and had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, that Satan came to him and tells him that if you are the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. He's striking at perhaps the weakest point. Satan always does that. What I want to suggest to you is that no one quits when they're feeling like they're strong and things are going well. Have you ever had someone say, you know what, I'm thinking about just giving up on the service to the Lord because things are just going so well, I'm growing, I'm developing, I'm at the strongest point I am in my spiritual life. That just doesn't happen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul was concerned that pressure could come to these new converts. And I'll notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we've noted a number of times that when Paul was at Thessalonica and established the church there, Persecution became so strong that Paul decided himself to leave, not because of himself, but he decided to leave to take the pressure off of the brethren. And he was concerned, how well did they do? How well did they fare? And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, he said, when we can no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, that we sent Timothy, our brother and minister and our fellow laborer in the gospel to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. I couldn't wait any longer. I had to send Timothy to find out how you're doing and see what he could do to encourage you to stay in the faith. Now notice at verse three, that none of you should be shaken by these afflictions. 
That was my concern, Paul said. I was concerned you being a new convert, you're perhaps at your weakest point. You haven't grown and developed yet. And I'm worried that perhaps the pressure could get to you. And so he was concerned. Let, the, let the, the weakness of the moment, whatever that may be, that weak moment you face, it may be pressure, it may be troubles, it may be trials, it may be some kind of discouragement. Let that weak moment pass before you decide, I'm just going to give up and throw up my hands and I'm just going to quit serving the Lord. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we alluded to this passage this morning where Paul talked about the trials that he faced. And our troubles that came to us in Asia, that we were burdened, that is, we were weighed down. We were overwhelmed, so that we despaired even of life. Now, I want you to notice verse 9. Yes, we had this sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. In other words, we should rely upon God and not upon ourselves in our own strength. That we may be at our weakest point, but we should rely upon the strength that we gain from God. We're talking about why people give up. Number 17, we allow our adversary, the devil, to make us quit. Now let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in verse 18. We were just there in chapter 3, and if you're still there, let's back up a chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and notice in verse 18, Paul talks about how the devil seeks to hinder us. It did with Paul that he said, I wanted to come to you, I, even Paul, Time and again, but Satan hindered us. What I want you to see is that Satan seeks to hinder you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Greater still is the fact that he wants to devour you. He doesn't just want to hinder you in your service. He's walking about seeking whom he may consume, whom he may devour, whom he may get to his side and destroy their spirituality. Now let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. We need to understand that we're serving a greater God. By greater God, I simply mean that... <clears throat> Uh, he is greater and stronger and is more powerful than the powers of Satan himself. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and in verse 4. He said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Yes, Satan is out to devour you. Yes, he's out to hinder you. But the one you serve is greater than the one that's in the world. Now, in 1 uh, or James chapter 4, look at James chapter 4 with me, that if we resist, that if I put up a fight against Satan and we resist, then the text says he will flee from you. Some people give up because they've allowed the pressures and the, the influence of Satan to infiltrate their life, like in Acts chapter 5. Why has Satan filled your heart? But if we resist, the text says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Remember verse 8 says he's a roar, as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, resist him steadfast in the faith. That is, we can resist, we can avoid the pressures, or at least the influence of the pressures of Satan. Now Luke chapter 4, Luke's account of the temptation of Jesus reminds us of this principle. That however we may resist him, he still departs, but he's waiting for that opportune time to return again. So I need to be ever aware, ever diligent of the pressures and the power that Satan has. So why do we sometimes give up? We allow our adversary, the devil, to have inroads into our lives that we should not allow. Why do people give up? Number 18 is the fact that we blame others and we make excuses for not doing what we should. 
We blame others with the old blame game that's been around for a long, long time. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. You remember in the first sin of Adam and Eve, <clears throat> when they ate of the forbidden fruit, that when Adam was questioned by God, he turned and pointed at Eve, it's that woman that you gave me. So he turns around and blames Eve for his problem. Eve, on the other hand, blamed the serpent. That he beguiled me, she said. Verse 13. Well, let's go to Exodus chapter 32. You remember the case where Aaron, I'm just trying to illustrate the blame game has been around for a long, long time and been practiced by many people. In Exodus chapter 32, while Moses was on the mount receiving the law of God, that Aaron and the people made a golden calf and began to worship that calf. When God's anger was stirred, Moses came down and took the tablets and broke them and he rebukes Aaron himself. And I want you to notice what Aaron said about that in chapter 32, beginning at verse 22. Aaron said, do not let the anger of the Lord become hot. You know, now notice this, the people that they are set on evil. It's not really me. It's those people. They made me do it. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have done that. Not only did he blame the people, but he blamed Moses. For they said to me, make us gods to go before us. For this Moses... The man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. You were gone so long, Moses. So really, it's not my fault. It's a blame game. They're beginning to point into others. You remember how Saul, when he was told to utterly destroy uh, the king, that he brought back and the spoils and uh, the men and the women and children, etc. First Kings chapter 17, that, that Saul began to blame the people when he was questioned. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and look at verse 20. And 21, that Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. In other words, I did what God told me. Well, that was only partially true. But he brought back Agag the king, and I utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Now notice what he said, but the people, <laughs> but the people took the plunder and the sheep and the oxen and the best of the things. It was the people that did that. What I'm trying to illustrate to you is that the blame game is a very old game. As long as we continue to make excuses, we'll not con continue to live as we ought to live. Let's take a look, for example, in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 illustrates those who've been invited to a dinner or a supper. And in Luke chapter 14, they begin one after the other to begin to make excuse in the parable of this great supper. One said, I bought a piece of ground. Another one said, I've married a wife. And another said, I've, I've bought a yoke of oxen and I must test them. And the point to be made, and I know I'm hurrying through that story, but the point made is that they were not invited to the supper and not tasted the supper, verse 24, because they began to make excuse. The point is that when we begin to make excuses and blame others, we're not going to be living as God would have us to live. We're talking about why people give up. Number 19, we forget that we are often responsible for the difficulties that tempt us to quit. Why do we sometimes throw up our hands and say, I'm just giving up and I'm going to quit serving the Lord? We fail to recognize that we sadly bring many of the problems on ourselves. How so? Well, it may be that we choose friends of the world that pull us down. Let's turn to Proverbs and notice the warning of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12. And notice in verse 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. Be very careful in who you associate with. Be very careful in who you uh, run with. Why is that? Look at verse 26. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. 
Many of the problems brought on and the temptations are brought on are by the choices of the friends that we have made. We've made friends of the world. We choose friends that have an influence on us that's ungodly. And we brought that temptation on ourselves. Quite often, one will marry the one that they were warned not to marry. Aside 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 31, this is where Ahab married Jezebel. And though it were a trivial thing, he married Jezebel and she was indeed a wicked woman. As if it were a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of his father. He treated it as a trivial matter that he would do the things that are wrong. It married a woman that led to idolatry in his own life and in the life of Israel. And so we often marry one they were warned not to marry. And now they're in a marriage situation where they have someone that is fighting against them in their Christianity and they're tempted to throw up their hands and quit. It may be that we distance ourselves from Christians and sources of encouragement. Aside Ephesians 5, when we sing together, we're, we're not only praising God, but we're edifying one another. Acts 20, verse 32, here's a text that talks about, I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. So we distance ourselves where the word of God is taught or where the singing of the word of, of the praise of God is given or around fellow Christians where we gain encouragement. We distance ourselves from that and we brought on our own weakness. And so we fail to recognize that we're bringing many of those problems on ourselves. The proverb writer said, the way of the transgressor is hard. That is, we face serious consequences because of the choices we make. We're choosing the wrong person to marry, the wrong friends. Choosing what we do with our lives, we brought many of those problems upon ourselves. Why do people give up? Why is it that sometimes people just quit? Number 20 is the fact that we sometimes are just not patient. There's a couple of senses in which that's true and I want to talk about. We forget about the fact that God is patient and long-suffering to us. Let's start with the second passage first and then we'll come back to Romans 2. God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The text tells us, but notice in 1 Peter 3.20, the text says in 1 Peter 3 that when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, for 120 years while Noah was building the ark, God was long-suffering and God was patient. And so we forget about how patient God is and how long-suffering God is. Look at Romans chapter 2. That patience and that long-suffering is often misunderstood. Verse 4, do you despise the riches of his goodness, the forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God is leading to repentance? That is the goodness of God or to lead us to repentance. That's the purpose of God's long-suffering. We forget about the fact God's long-suffering with us. Well, we must be long-suffering with those that disappoint us and discourage us. We may be disappointed, disappointed in how someone else is living. Something they've said or done that discourages us, and we're tempted then just to give up and quit. Notice in Galatians chapter 5, one of the fruits, uh, one of the things that's listed as fruit of the Spirit, look at verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, being patient, enduring with other people. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 2, this is in a context of dealing with the unity of the Spirit that is striving for unity. Verse two is talking about attitudes that contribute to unity and harmony with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. So maybe if I'm more forbearing with someone, that is a discouragement to me that I, I'll not be tempted just to give up, give up on others. But here's something else from another vantage point, and let's go to James chapter five. We must have patience in the sense that we must have endurance 
When I say we're not patient, that's one of the reasons is that we're not enduring. Let's go to James chapter 5 and look at some things in the context of James chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. Therefore, be patient. I don't think he's talking about patience in the sense, be calm and don't get agitated at all. Uh, because later in the context, he's going to talk about the patience of Job. Job was quite agitated, but he was still patient. In what sense? He endured. He didn't give up. Therefore, be patient, brethren, to the coming of the Lord. Now, he illustrates. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until, it until he receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient, reminds them again. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be uh, condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience, that is, endurance, like Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 12. Verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. That's what he means by patience. They endure. They don't give up. Let me get frustrated. They may get aggravated, but they don't quit, like Job. For he says, you have heard of the perseverance, or King James says, the patience of Job. He endured. So why do people give up? They don't have endurance. That's why they often give up. We're talking about why people give up. Number 21, we often do not get off to a good start. We may not get off to a good start. You see, in any endeavor, if we taste success, we're motivated to press on. I don't care what it may be. It may be in a study. It may be studying the scriptures. It might even be in something secular. It may be learning some, some uh, new game or some, some sport. And you start off and you taste success. That gives you encouragement and motivation to keep going. Same thing is true spiritually. If we start off on the wrong foot, we wonder if we ever can go on. That's true in any endeavor. It may be a conflict as soon as one obeys the gospel. They obey the gospel and they're not hardly dry from the waters of baptism until they're in a conflict. There's pressure put on them. Uh, they, they begin to see things that are discouraging. Things that were obstacles that, that, are, that they have to get through if they're ever going to make it through and endure until the end. Let's go back to a text we introduced earlier. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. The church at Thessalonica was hit early. And so they did get off on the wrong foot, so to speak. Well, Paul is preaching to them. They're converted, and right in the middle of their conversion and the establishment of the church, trying to get it going, persecution sets in so strong, Paul has to leave to take the pressure off of them. And so they did get off on the wrong foot, so to speak. And he was concerned about that, and that's why he writes back to them. I want to suggest to you that to get off to a good start, we need to count the cost. Let's go to Luke chapter 14. If you're going to start off on the right foot in serving the Lord, learn to count the cost. Begin at verse 25 of Luke chapter 14. That Jesus said, or start at verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, parallel account in Matthew 10 says, he that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's what he means by hating father and mother. That he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after, uh, come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not set down first and count the cost, whether he's able to finish? And after he's laid the foundation, he is not able to finish it. And all who sit begin to mock him, 
saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish? Or what king makes a, a war against another king, does not sit down at first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to meet those who come against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Now notice his conclusion at verse 33. So likewise, like these cases of counting the cost before they ever enter the fray, notice verse 33, likewise, whoever does not forsake all, he cannot be my disciple. Why is it that sometimes we're ready to throw up our hands and quit? We haven't counted the cost of what it's going to take to be a servant of the Lord. And now when we have a cost to pay, then we're ready to throw up our hands and quit. We're talking about why people give up. So why is it that people give up? Number 22 we do not realize that others are watching us and are influenced by our example. We may not realize that other people are watching and they're influenced by our example. Now notice in Luke chapter 11 and in verse 23, this is an important point, that we cannot be neutral with reference to our influence. Maybe some people think that, you know what, I may not be an influence for good, but I, I don't want to be a bad influence either, so I'm just kind of neutral here. I'm not, I may not be doing what I ought to be, but I'm not a bad example either. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. That tells me you cannot be neutral with reference to influence. You're either influencing people for good, or you're influencing people in the wrong direction. God's people ought to be the kind of people that are an example that leads others to be godly themselves. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Jesus said, after dealing with that you're like light and like salt, both are, example, are, are pictures of being a good example. Notice what he said at verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. All right, here's what I'm learning from that, that we ought to set an example before others that causes them to want to be godly like they see us to be godly. Here's another passage. Paul told Titus to teach the Older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women. And notice what he says concerning the young men. Exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Are you a pattern of good works? In other words, could somebody take your life and say, this is the pattern to follow. If I follow that, I'll be godly. If I do what he's doing, I'll be godly. If I follow her example and act just like she is acting, I'll be godly. Are you a pattern of good works? See, when we're weaker, we're giving up influencing others to do, or we're giving others an example to do the very same thing. In other words, they're following the same example. First Corinthians 15, verse 33, says evil communications corrupts good manners. When, when I become weaker, then I'm encouraging others to be just like I am. I'm getting, giving them an example to follow and to be just like I am. You see, it may impact some that we hardly know. It may be your poor example is impacting somebody that you don't even know they're watching you, but it may be someone in your family. It may be your spouse. It may be your children. They become even weaker than you are. Like mother, like daughter, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 44, we often fall in the paths of our children, our, our parents. And consequently, you may be influencing your family, your spouse, and your children to not only be weak, but to be weaker than you are. And so why is it that we sometimes give up? We don't realize we're influencing others by our example. We're talking about why people give up. Number 23, we do not pray believing that prayer makes a difference. We give up because we don't pray believing that prayer has power. 
Prayer is powerful. James chapter 5 and in verse 16 says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It does good. It's powerful. He gives an example of that in the context, by the way, that as Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't, and he prayed that it would and it did, shows the power indeed of prayer. Now Moses did this. This says something about the power of prayer. Moses pled with God for Israel and it made a difference in God sparing Israel. Where God's anger was stirred against Israel, Moses indeed made that plea. Now we ought to pray about temptation. Let's look at a couple of passages about praying for temptation. That the temptation would not come, and if it does come, that I might have the strength that I might overcome. Look in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. This is the model prayer that Jesus set before his disciples, saying, you pray like this. What are we to pray? Look at verse 13. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We ought to be praying with the belief that prayer makes a difference that I can pray about temptation, what my temptation may be, what may be the strongest temptation for me, where it may be my weakness, that temptation may not come. Look over at the 26th division of the same book, Matthew chapter 26, and look at verse 41. Matthew 26 and in verse 41. The text says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Be watchful, be praying, lest you enter into temptation. And we alluded to this passage this morning in Luke chapter 22. We ought to pray for our own strength and that of others. Jesus told Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. We ought to pray for others that their faith not fail. But we ought to also pray for ourselves that our faith may not fail. So why do we sometimes fail? Because we're not praying, believing that prayer does indeed make a difference. We're talking about why people give up. Number 24. We are unwilling to do the one thing that seems so hard. What do we mean by that? What we see in the case of the rich young ruler. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. You remember the story well in Matthew chapter 19. We had a refresher course just recently when Brother Deason was with us and preached for us one Sunday. Going through the rich young ruler in the case of where he came to Jesus, came running according to Mark's account, came running to Jesus eagerly asking, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? Very interested in spiritual things. Furthermore, he was a man that said, when he, what must he do that he might have eternal life? Jesus told him to keep the commandments. He said, well, which ones? And Jesus enumerated. He said, I've done all of those. Is there anything else? And Jesus said, there is one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Verse 22 said, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Here's what I want you to learn. The rich young ruler would not sell and give. There was that one thing that seemed so hard he wasn't willing to do. And so he gave up on his search for eternal life. That one thing may vary from person to person. You see, you may not have a problem selling all that you have. You may not be like the rich young ruler. But for one, it may be giving up an unscriptural marriage. That's why they finally quit. Is they have an unscriptural marriage and they're not willing to give that up because they, they just can't part from that. They just can't turn that away. I can't go away from that unscriptural marriage. I know it's unscriptural, but I can't give that up. For another, it may be giving up premarital relationships. They can't quit that. They're not going to. They give up on serving the Lord because they, they enjoy that relationship, though it's ungodly, it's immoral, but they're not going to quit that. And so they finally give up and they quit. For another, it may be giving up time to serve self. Romans 2 talks about those who serve themselves. 
In other words, they're not willing to give up time. If I become a Christian or if I remain faithful, then I can't do the things I want to do for myself. And it's going to take time to devote myself to the service of the Lord. And I'm not willing to give up that time. That's that one thing I'm not willing to give up. For another, it may be giving up drinking or drugs or immoral activity. That's the one thing they don't want to give up. Why do they throw up their hands and quit? It might be for another they're admitting their family will be lost. I'm not willing to admit. I'm not willing to admit my, my family who are in a denomination or my family who is practicing something unscriptural. My family who is not living in harmony with the will of God, I'm not willing to admit they're, they're lost. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do that. And so that's the one thing they're not willing to do. We're talking about why people give up. Why is it that people give up? Number 25, we're unwilling to read the Bible regularly. We're unwilling to read the Bible regularly. Let's open to Acts chapter 17 and in verse 11. The child of God should read and study his Bible on a regular basis. The Bereans were commended because they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily whether the things were so. They searched through the scriptures to see if it was so. Peter said, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge. I can't grow in knowledge unless I'm reading and studying and meditating on the scriptures. Paul told Timothy, till I come, give attendance unto reading. Spend some time reading the scriptures. Read the scriptures and then read the scriptures. And then read some more of the scriptures. Till I come, give attendance unto reading. Now, reading and pondering, the word has great profit. How so? Let's go to Acts 20, verse 32. We've alluded to this two or three times. That's how our faith is built and maintained. Paul said, I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. So the more time I spend reading and searching and pondering the scriptures, my faith is built and my faith is maintained. When my faith becomes weaker, it's because I'm not studying. I'm not reading the scriptures. When, when my faith is not built and doesn't become strong, I'm not reading and pondering upon the scriptures. It has great profit. It builds resistance against sin. Look at Psalm 119 in verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. There's some connection with the word being in the heart that keeps us from sinning against God. 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 16 to 18. We then know the text in its context. That's part of growing in the grace and in the knowledge where people twist and rest and pervert the scriptures. Then he says in context, but grow in the grace and the knowledge. That is, I need to know the text in its context so I know when they're twisting and resting and perverting the scriptures. May I suggest that those who give up are not reading and studying more than they used to. I've never met someone who says, you know what, I'm ready to quit. I'm, just, I'm, I'm quitting, I'm done with the Lord. Who says, you know what, but I'm reading more now than I've ever read. I'm studying more now than I've ever studied. I'm learning more scripture now than I've ever learned, but I'm ready to quit. It's always just the opposite. They're reading less than they were. They're studying less than they were. Why do people give up? We're not reading and studying our Bibles regularly. We're talking about why people give up. Number 26, we often have, as the expression is, too many irons in the fire. We often have too many irons in the fire. Our problems are not always generated by things sinful within themselves. Some cases it may be. It may be lying. It may be stealing. It may be drunkenness. It may be adultery. But not all of our problems are from that. Notice in Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. In the parable of the sower, there was some of the seed that fell among the thorns, 
are those that the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life choke out the word. So there are things not wrong within themselves, the cares of life, can choke out or crowd out spirituality. That's the point. So our problems sometimes are generated by things not sinful within themselves. Look at Luke chapter 10. This is the case of Mary and Martha and Jesus being in the house. And you remember how that Martha was busied about serving her guest. And Jesus was asked by Mary to tell, uh, by Martha, tell my sister Mary to help me. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And he said, you are bothered and worried about many things. And so we're often frustrated and troubled by our daily needs. Things that uh, have, that we get too busy with things that we call simply too many irons in the fire. Let's remind ourselves of a passage we studied this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Demas hath forsaken me having loved the present world. That is, there's a love just for life now. What's going on in life. Busy with life. So that we become neglectful of the service of the Lord. The, pro the problem is too much is going on that something then has to give. And often it's our spiritual life. We, we have things with work. We have our sports. We have our, our hobbies. We have things with family. We have things with friends. We have so many things going on. Something has to give. And often it's the matter of spiritual things. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 6 and in verse 5. God must always be first and foremost in our lives. In Deuteronomy 6, this was the favorite section of the Jews, as you remember. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, as they are urged to be faithful, every Jew could quote this section. Look at verse 5, starting with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord their God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. That is, God is first and foremost above anybody and everything else. Don't have too many irons in the fire. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart, 1 Peter 3.15, to be first and foremost in our lives. We're talking about why people give up. Number 27, we don't realize that opportunities to succeed will not last forever. We don't realize that opportunities to succeed will not last forever. The window of opportunity is closed quickly for some people. Let's take the case in Numbers chapter 14. Without reading that whole story and retelling the whole story in Numbers 14, you remember how that in chapter 13 they were told to spy out the land, and they did, and most of the spies came back saying, we can't go. Too much for us. In chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, and the end of chapter 13, chapter 14, they, um, the text says they lifted up their voice and the people wept at night, etc. And uh, they began to murmur and to complain about why has the Lord brought us out of this land to fall by the sword. Now jump on over to verse 39 beginning. Verse 39 to verse 45, they made an attempt and Moses said, don't go, don't try it now, it's too late. I'm paraphrasing. Don't try it now, it's too late, you'll be defeated. And they did, and they were defeated. Their window of opportunity had closed for them. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. The five foolish virgins delayed, the text said. If you don't remember the story and the details of the story, turn to Matthew chapter 25. I just want to pay attention to a couple of verses there. The story said, but while the bridegroom, verse 5, was delayed, that is, while they had time, they all slumbered and slept. And they missed out on the opportunity because the time came, look at verse 10, when the door was shut. I'm, I'm suggesting to you the door may shut sooner than you may think. 
The door may be closing on your time to, to mature and to grow, 2 Peter chapter 1, to add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance. Say, I want to grow, but it may be the time and the door for that opportunity may be closing soon. Or to be built up in the faith, to be edified and built up in the faith. Like 1 Corinthians 14 talks about. Or maybe to train your children in the way of the Lord. The door may be closing. It's sad when a person gets older and they begin to think, I wish I had. And then that sentence is finished with a number of things. I wished I had spent more time training my children. I wished I had taken my children to church more often. I wished I had studied more than I did. I wished I had given greater attention to Bible classes when I was younger. I wished I had, and you finished the sentence. How sad that is. We don't realize the opportunities to succeed will not last forever. We're talking about why people give up, number 28 is we attempt things that we don't have the ability to do. Now, what do we mean by that? Let's start with this. That serving God and obeying God is not beyond our ability. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does that mean? It means I can obey any command God wants me to obey. I can endure any trial that is put before me. I can live in any circumstance that may come my direction. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common or bearable to man. There is no temptation that I can't overcome. So that's not impossible. That's not beyond my ability. But I'm here to suggest that there are times we attempt to do things that we cannot possibly do. What do we mean by that? We want to know and we want to learn, but we don't want to study. That's impossible. See, I want to know. I want to know the scriptures. And I want to learn the scriptures. I'd like to know it so I could teach it to others. I'd learn to, love to have an in-depth knowledge of the scriptures, but I don't want to study. I want the quick way to do that. That's impossible. Or it may be that someone said, I want to be faithful, and I want to be considered among those that are faithful and diligent, but I don't want to attend. I don't want to come all the time. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to make a sacrifice. You see, I want to... Uh, I want to neglect uh, my responsibility and it be the fault of other people. I don't want to do what I'm supposed to do. I want to be able to neglect that, but I want it to be your fault and their fault and the church's fault, and I don't want to be blamed for all of that. We're attempting to do that, which is impossible. We're still talking about why people give up number 29. We do not realize when we're actually giving up. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, a synonym for not, for not giving up is persistence. If you're one that doesn't give up, you're persisting. Persistence means to continually do something. And if I am persistent, like 1 Corinthians 15, 58, to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And if you're not continually serving God, then you are giving up. Are you continually serving God? Do you do it kind of spasmodically? Do you do it occasionally? If we're doing it in that fashion, we're, give, we're giving up already. And you'll see how in a moment. Often people that are lacking a lot will tell us, I haven't quit. Maybe somebody hadn't been to church in three months. And you go talk to them, maybe you call them. And you tell them, I've missed you and you need to come back. And they'll say something like, I'll tell you what, I haven't quit. I haven't quit. I'm not talking about somebody that's sick. I'm talking about somebody that 
It just hadn't been here. But I haven't quit, though. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm still thinking about being faithful, but I'm just not faithful? What does it mean I haven't quit? My question is, what are you doing to prevent giving up altogether? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. You see, giving up doesn't happen suddenly. It's not that I just suddenly, I'm, I'm as diligent and faithful as I can be, then I just quit. I gave up. Hebrews 2 pictures it out. If we don't give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, we'll let them slip. That's a slow, gradual process. The point I'm trying to make is we don't always realize when we're quitting that we may be slowly quitting and giving up on serving the Lord, and we don't even realize that we're slowly quitting serving the Lord. We don't realize the moment that we begin to give up. We're talking about why people give up. Number 30 and the last is that we've lost our faith in God and we've lost our faith in His Word. I'm here to suggest to you that faith in God and His Word is a driving force. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. This great chapter of Face Hall of Fame. And what I want you to notice is that when we have faith, it is by faith that we obey. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. It's by faith that we are obedient. And so when I'm not obedient, something is lacking in my faith. Look at chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. By faith we endure. This is speaking of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He endured. By faith. When we don't endure, something's lacking in our faith. Those that give up and are ready to quit have lost their faith in God. They may claim to believe in God, but that's not the same thing. That's not the same thing at all. I want to suggest to you that it's possible to lose our faith in God. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3 and in verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. It's interesting. He's writing to Christians who are discouraged, by the way. He said, beware, lest there be in any of you. It's possible any one of us could reach the point that we are unbelievers now. And we no longer have faith. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering into his rest... Let us fear lest the, you seem to come short of it. Now he talks about Israel of old. For indeed the gospel was preached unto us as well as unto them. But the word did not profit them not being mixed with faith. In other words, Israel fell before they ever reached their promised land. Now drop down to verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone, seem to, uh, uh, anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. Let's go to chapter 10, verse 39, one last verse. That if we draw back, we're lacking in faith. Here's the point to see. Look at verse 39. We're not of those who draw back unto perdition. That is, those who draw back and, and give up unto destruction. We're not of those who draw back. But, but, here's the contrast, those that believe, continuing to believe to the saving of the soul. If you don't continue to believe, you're drawing back. If you draw back, you're not continuing to believe. The point is, if we draw back, we're lacking in our faith. So why do some people give up? Because they've lost their faith in God, and they've lost faith in His Word. Perhaps there's more reasons. And, obviously, some of these are overlapping. But hopefully we've hit in those 30 reasons why people give up. Something that may help you to encourage you to not give up or encourage someone else. They don't need to give up. But press on to the end. Why do people give up? There are a number of reasons why people give up. May that encourage us not to be the people 
who throw up our hands and absolutely quit. There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while we stand and sing?